1: in the show. Rob lagging your money. I think I got like a sinus infection the other day, a couple days ago. Got some mucus up there, so I took a Mucinex. Holy mackerel, that stuff dries me out. So if I sound like a frog, I'm sorry. <laughs> Work with it. Maybe it makes the show better. Maybe it sounds me like, sound like Sarah and no name. Or Sarah and Vinny. I sound like Vinny. Oh, wait, wait, if I were to sound like Vinny, I'd be like begging for dates. Um, that's not me.
0: Please, 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 please,
1: I'm so cool, I have a radio show. Please, 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 I have a radio show. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about um, money, investing, and more. So, taking a look at the markets, um, we have a big end of the week coming up. So, there's not a lot to think about today. Um A lot of what we could have said yesterday could be said today. Some of the headlines are different, but not much. Sentiment's about the same. Um, Markets aren't really going anywhere fast. There's that song, you and me, we should be going nowhere slowly, but we seem to be going nowhere fast. Um, Same thing with the markets at this point in time. Not a lot going on, if you're following me. Kind of watching paint dry, right? But paint should start drying today. Uh, at some point, we're going to get some numbers out on homes, Uh big part of our economy. So, existing home sales wobble as inventory stays tight, prices march higher. Existing home sales median price jumped 5.3% for the year. It sits at $244,100, but uh, existing home sales fell 3.2% to hit uh, 5.39 million annual rate. So, um, sales of previously owned homes fell in July, tight inventory. Let's see how tight that inventory is, Uh, 4.7 months worth of income, Uh, 4.7 months worth of homes. So, if no more homes go up for sale and we keep the same exact pace we're on, we'll sell out all homes that were previously owned in 4.7 months. Um, That, they're going fast. So, this is a time where um, houses aren't staying on the market for long. So just throw that out there for you. It also keeps ultimately lit on the entry of first-time buyers in the market. First-timers account for about 32% of all transactions in July. That's down a tick from 33% in June. Um, July's decline follows more than an eight-year high in June. Uh, so some pullback was expected. I believe demand is not going away. It's just, an ex- you know, excitement over inventory. There's not a lot, so when it comes on, people are like, I'll take it. Um, It smells like urine. I'll take it. It's built on a graveyard. I'll take it. Um, It's haunted by Mike Tyson's ghost. I'll take it. Wait, Mike Tyson's dead? Maybe I won't take it. So, anyway, you get the idea. Um, Oil slipping today, following some data on inventories. Dollar's rebounding. Friday is when Fed Chairman Janet Yellen speaks, um, and we will pay attention. Heavily weighted healthcare and financials are outperforming. Strength in telecom services, financials, healthcare, and energy. Weakness in material, consumer staples, utilities, and technology. Uh, Nike has gained a skosh today. Um, not much, but a skosh. So, I'll, you know, slightly. Taking a look at some of the market numbers, which I don't seem to have right now. Here they are. Uh, markets are down fractions. We didn't open with too much of a, a move in any one direction. So S&P 500 down 2, Dow's down 27, NASDAQ down 1. Uh, U.S. home sales fell in July amid inventory shortage. Uh, we saw that already. So some of the other stories out there today of note, of note and gloat. Um, Tesla has made its cars super fast. How fast. Ferrari fast. So, how about an automobile that can keep pace with $1.4 million Ferrari? La Ferrari supercar. So, it's about one-tenth the price. So, that's the latest proposition from Tesla. You know how they had ludicrous mode? Now, they have super ludicrous mode, which is um, kind of silly, but we'll go with it. Um, it's a little bit more... They, they're, they kind of updated their vehicles yesterday. So the sedan has about 315 miles of distance. Crossover goes about 289 miles. Um, so the sedan has broken that 300 million barrier, 300 mile barrier. Incremental, if symbolic milestone, as automaker looks to erase so-called range anxiety. Customers who have ordered what have been called the highest performance Tesla, the P90D, with ludicrous. It can hit 60 miles per hour in 2.8 seconds. It's gonna be able to upgrade now to peak model for another 10000 so existing P90D owners who want to make the switch will have to pay $20,000 because the change requires replacing and recycling their car's existing motors. Just as a, Is he smart for making everything kind of mix and match, or is it just too much? The new model X, a four-door SUV, will be faster than the vaunted 1990s McLaren F1 supercar. So, um, more and more uh, expensive, but it is kind of keeping up with um, what it's supposed to be keeping up with, super luxury cars. You know, Porsche 918 Spyder can go 2.2 seconds, 0 to 60, but that's going to cost you $900,000. McLaren P1 will take you from 0 to 60 in 2.6 seconds for $1.3 million. So, Tesla has its financial future riding on the new car that's not very fast, the Model 3 sedan. Uh, It'll be fast. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not going to be fast. The company's building its $5 billion gigafactory in Nevada, and they're going to try to get some of that up and going this year, so lot's going on. So, over at NBC, NBC, um, there's a lot of talk right now about who won the Olympics. And it appears that social media won the gold medal for the Olympics and old broadcast television maybe got a bronze, which isn't bad. So social media, uh, big. Facebook, 227 million people interacted with 1.5 billion posts. Twitter users sent 187 million tweets, yielding 75 billion impressions. NBC, which paid over one billion for broadcast rights to the competition, said it scored some of its own online and social wins, with more than 600 million views on its Olympic videos on Facebook, for instance. So I think at some point in time we're going to see someone like an NBC, which is owned by Comcast Universal, um, try to buy someone like Twitter, because they see the leakage, and isn't leakage just a disgusting word? Try to use leakage in a sexy way. It's impossible. So they they see some of the leakage here that goes into, uh, how shall we say, social media, and they're going to want some of that. If you're going to spend billions and billions and billions on the Olympics, then you're going to probably want a piece of that action. Social networks benefit from this immense online chatter without having to pay for broadcast rights, which is one of the beauties about Facebook and Twitter, particularly Facebook's. NBC said nearly 50 million viewers streamed 3.4 billion minutes of Rio coverage. Over half of those viewers were under the age of 35. So, NBC and all the broadcast networks realize people are streaming more and more. I don't see how they don't try to pick up a streamer um, and pay a premium for it. Uh, you know, Zach Efron kissing 19-year-old Simone Biles, uh, who won four gold medals. Uh, that one got 163,000 retweets and. Four 459,000 likes. You can find me online at robblackshow.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, and YouTube, Rob Black Show.
0: Call Rob Black now. 800 516 1220. That's 800 516 1220. Now, back to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Time to welcome a new voice to KDOW. Bring in Rebecca Costa. Rebecca, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. How about yourself, Rob?
1: Doing well. It's uh, morning drive time in San Francisco. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do for 411.
2: Well, I am a sociobiologist by training, but uh, I have a syndicated national radio program called the Costa Report, and uh, I'm an independent, so uh, what that means is I'm interested in any solution from the left or the right or anywhere in between. Uh, so I, I'm, it's the, one of the first nonpartisan Uh, radio talk programs across the country, and uh, I understand from Talkers Magazine, it's the fastest growing uh, talk program in the country, so um, I'm very gratified to find a new career as a sociobiologist, but you know, my expert's in complex systems, and it doesn't matter if it's biological systems or economic systems, the same rules apply.
1: Good to hear. You'll be on the station Saturdays from 4 to 6. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, you brought up, Political systems. We didn't bring up political systems, but they're certainly on everyone's mind right now. What are you making of the election this year?
2: Well, I, the same thing that the person on the street is. It's a, it's a mess. <laughs> you know, someone pretty, pretty said so, to right? me uh, not long ago. I, actually, it was uh, Ralph Nader was telling me that it wasn't the, uh, the, the. You know, you, there's the whole quote of it's the lesser of two evils, and uh, I think he said it's the evil of two lessers. <laughs> and cute. and uh, just when you think there can't be anything worse than deciding between the lesser of two evils, there is. There's the evil of two lessers, and I think that's what uh, at least the independents and undecided. I, I'm an undecided, and I've gone on air and said that. Um, not that anybody's interested in how I'm going to cast my vote, but uh, I uh, in this particular election, uh, I, I, I'm i having a tremendous difficulty getting behind either candidate. And I think I speak for a lot of Americans, even those that have decided. I think they, they've got some uh, ambivalence, to say the least.
1: It's such an interesting year that I saw Ben Carson this morning say that both candidates should release their health records because they're both old. And it <laughs> it, it not only is the, the whole year just strange, but like it's our oldest candidates ever running for president, I believe, which is in itself interesting.
2: Uh, I think age is a big factor. I think they're... Past record is a big factor. I think the policies that they've put in front of us are uh, uh, questionable uh, from a scientific standpoint. I'm a scientist by training, so, you know, the dogma doesn't go very far with me. I have to look at the empirical data and whether there is a basis for the claims or the plans that they're making. You know, is there any model that suggests that that would work? (laughs) And the things that they're talking about, there are actually no existing models or any historical record to indicate anything that they've proposed would actually uh, be helpful.
1: (laughs) I'm with you on that. Let's switch gears to the one thing that upset the stock market egregiously this year was the Brexit when the U.K. decided to jump out of the European Union. Um, Obviously, this was doomed maybe from the start because the uk kind of really bought into everything nor did it sign up for everything how did you see the brexit go this year
2: Uh, i i was excited about that uh uh, let me go back in time and say that i was one of the few people looking at uh, from uh, from, uh, the euro as a complex economic system and uh one of the rules that apply in nature, nature is the model that we have the longest empirical data on. And one of the laws is any drive toward singularity is a drive toward extinction. In the same way that you wouldn't put all your money, hopefully, into one stock, right, and bet it all, uh, uh, you don't want to let the idea of operational efficiency drive you to less diversity less diversity in economic systems makes them more vulnerable to sudden and catastrophic collapse. Now that sounds pretty heavy for morning drive time radio, but it, but it, there's an easy way to look at it. Anytime you start to become dependent on a singular system, uh, y- your odds of that system failing at some point and bringing everything down at the same time are very, very high. So if you think about before World War II, when uh, economies were vastly different, the economy of Japan and and um, uh, Germany and the United States were all very independent and and not as enmeshed as they are right now. That enmeshment has created a situation where the you know you, all it takes is the uh, subprime mortgage fiasco and we take every economy and stock market in the world down with us. And that kind of contagion has occurred because there's less diversity in how capital is raised and how uh, how currencies are valued and so on and so forth. It, there's remarkable similarity between all of the economies of the world, and that's been very very dangerous from an economic standpoint. So I was excited. Uh, I, I you know I I had predicted very early on when the European Union went to the euro. I I had predicted all it would take was one country to to put the euro at risk and that one country was Greece and then you saw the contagion to the other countries Spain and Ireland and and uh and Italy and one after the other and uh you know uh were it not for some uh, fast dancing uh, tap dancing uh um I I I think that the euro would have been history and I and I think it's at risk now
1: do you think the European Union collapses further?
2: I do. Yes, I do.
1: So it's going to go. And I, and I believe that recapit- is good
2: for the global economy. I, I'd like to see each country develop its own economic systems. The reason that everything has become really similar is because as global, global, globalization has taken place, it's made it easy to go to another country and do business, right? The more similar those systems are, the easier it is, but the more vulnerable to contagion and collapse they become. So you don't want to drive towards singularity. Diversity in our stock portfolios is a hedge against failure. You know, that's why we, we have diversification. You know, bonds go down and stocks go up and real estate goes down and your stock portfolio goes up and, you know, you, you, you have to, they're, they're different gauges different dials on one large economic machine and we want diversity in global uh, e- economies that's that is the safe measure and that's the best measure uh, but uh, we're not we're not mo- moving in that direction and brexit might indicate that there's an opportunity that we do move in that direction and create more d- diversity in economies
1: Speaking of the Rebecca Costa, her show is going to be on KDOW on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m., the Costa Report. We've got less than 30 seconds. Give yourself one final push, one final plug.
2: Well, I'd say uh, listen up this uh, this week because we've got folks like the uh, Secretary General of NATO coming on board and, uh, and you know a number of terrific guests. That are uh, uh, stacked up for uh, September, including the uh, governor of Colorado, who this week will be talking about how their legalization of marijuana has contributed to their tax revenues. So everybody will want to listen in on that.
1: Thanks very much, Rebecca Costa. The cost Report, KDW Saturdays, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. right here on KDOW AM
0: 1220.
2: Got that sunshine in my pocket, got that good soul in my feet, feel that hot blood in my body.
0: Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, markets in particular, sure, we could talk markets. Um, oil coming back a little bit lower because inventories were show to build. Um Doesn't look to me from looking at the experts and looking at the reports that it makes any sense for oil to be above $45 a barrel right now, maybe somewhere in the low 40s, based on GDP numbers, unless we think the Fed sees a hotter economy than expected on Friday. It doesn't make a lot of sense for oil to trade above 45. Again, we'll see what Janet Yellen has to say coming up on Friday. You can find out more about me at com. It's com. I have to imagine uh, the judge who had to deal with the case recently on Starbucks just had to be just incredulous. Um, you always hear about lawsuits, right? A federal judge has thrown out a lawsuit accusing Starbucks of misleading customers uh, about the iced product ratio of its cold beverages. And, um... I never stood there thinking they're trying to rip me off by giving me ice, but then again, I don't go into Starbucks all that often. Uh, ridiculing the plaintiffs and their lawyers who brought the case, the judge said no reasonable adult customer, much less than a child, could be deceived by the company's beverage labeling. The lawsuit proposed class action filed in Los Angeles alleged that iced coffee and other cold beverages sold by Starbucks contained significantly less product than advertised. It argued that the listed size of beverages conceal how much space is in the cup taken up by ice cubes, as opposed to coffee and tea. Would you like some coffee? Uh, I don't know. I think judges have probably seen everything, but that one had to piss the judge off. Um, Most lawyers, I think, will tell you settle your case because you don't want to piss off a judge. Uh, They don't want their courtroom taken up by some silly case like yours. Anyhow, anyway, um, let's talk a little real estate, shall we? Um, housing numbers came out today, pretty good. Home prices in the United States rose 5.6 percent. Prices climbed 1.2 percent on a seasonally adjusted basis from the previous three months. In June, prices climbed two tenths of a percent on a seasonally adjusted basis for May. The average estimate of 21 economists was for about a three tenths of a percent increase and 1.2 percent. So, uh, but. Again, you have to factor in a couple of things on the seasonally adjusted basis. For instance, uh, demand for housing has outstripped supply and to build more, I think that's going to be in the cards for a while. So anyway, let's talk, uh, real estate now, I'm bringing Tony Mendez with bayarealonesource.com. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, bayarealonesource.com. He's my personal lender. You've heard him on the show numerous times. I actually hang out with a guy on occasion on weekends and, uh, just relax a little bit. So he's a l- lender. He's a guy who gets you your mortgage. He's the guy who tells you what you qualify for, what you're pre-qualified for. One of the more interesting angles that I hear him get frustrated over is when someone wants to put 20% down and the appraiser goes out and it's not quite 20%. It's too high of a number or too low mm-hmm. of a number. Um and suddenly have to come up with more money. Talk a little bit about how this happens, and I guess encapsulate what I just said.
3: I mean, quite simply, we're in a seller's market, and there's not enough sales right now. We know inventory is low, and the sales volume is low. So what happens is the your purchase price is going to get kicked up. You're going to overbid uh, so that you can get that offer accepted. And then when your appraisal comes in, it's going to be you know a certain percentage below that amount. So if you have certain... Uh, down payment, let's say 20%, and the reason we want 20%, of course, is to avoid a loan that has mortgage insurance and to get better rates, is now your loan is as uh, a uh, 19% or 18% down payment, okay? So you're going to get mortgage insurance, or you're going to have an FHA loan with higher mortgage insurance. So there are some tools that people can use to keep the same down payment, but avoid mortgage insurance, and that's to get um, a second loan. It, it always works out and you don't have to get a big second loan. It can be as small as like $7,500. Um, and it can put you over that 80%. You, you have a, you know, the interest rates a little bit higher. Yes, it's adjustable, but, but you can focus on paying that off a little early, leave yourself a nice little equity line you can use down the road, but it avoids that mortgage insurance and there's always a lower payment when you get that scenario. So when it does come back, um, do people panic? When what comes back? The appraisal, and it's... Um, well, you know, it's something that we've, we've definitely been focusing on preparing people for. Yeah. So we run the scenarios in advance. Now, that doesn't mean that your lender is going to do that in advance. They may just say, oh, well, we've got to make sure that you have 20% down. And they don't, and they might see some reserves. Or they look at your 401k or IRA and say, oh, we have some reserves there that we can use. And they don't think it through that maybe they don't want to use a 401k or yeah. their IRA. And they don't prepare people for it. And I think that's where a a lot of people that are going into offers, um, and, and they're not prepared. They're not talking to their realtor. And and not only that, the realtor's not asking, Hey, you got 20% down. Are you prepared to offer another 40,000 over appraised value or whatever it is? Um, and what are your contingency plans? Contingency plans. How does the appraisal process work now? What is it, like a two-day thing? Um, you know, you, you start the loan process, you submit a loan, you, you contact the appraiser, they they call your, your agent, they enter the house, they um, take pictures, they measure the house, make sure, you know, the, the appraisal process is a, a lot more detailed than it used to be. Okay. Uh, and, and they have an appraisal management company that that appraiser works for that's going to do a quality check and the lender's going to do a quality check. And as a matter of fact, I just talked to a client not too long ago who came to my office and said, you know what? We try to refinance the lender. Uh, we got an appraisal; it worked out fine. But the lender did what you know—a BPO, a broker price opinion—and and they disagreed with the appraiser, and knocked or the appraisal amount, and they knocked it down 20 grand, which disqualified them. So there's a lot of quality control that goes into it now. But um, so just because you get an appraisal, and this is something that the California Association of Realtors and, and needs to change on their contract, is that an appraisal contingency isn't just value. Yeah. Okay. You can put appraisal contingency in there and it comes in at value. Great. It, the appraisal still has to pass the lender. So for example, if the property comes in at fair value or there's an unpermitted addition or uh, there's section one items, uh, termite damage or it's anything like that, that needs to be repaired. So there's, there's, there there are some corrections that need to be made. And I hope at some point they do make these corrections because it's kind of confusing. It's It's too simple. And a real estate transaction we want it to be simple, but there's a lot of things that still need to protect the buyer. And if you remove an appraisal contingency and you don't have a loan contingency, you could be stuck with a with a house and coming up with extra money, have to borrow from your parents or whatever, tap your 401k if you and you really didn't need to.
1: It makes a painstakingly frustrating process even more frustrating when yeah. that happens. Yeah. I'm speaking with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. We all know it's expensive to raise a child. How about a dog? Friday is National Dog Day, which is, I think we could, I think we could celebrate me on that day as well. National Dog Day, AKA Rob Black Day. Uh, celebrating man's best friend. And it's a day where we're encouraging you to consider to adopt a dog. But how much does a dog cost you? Cost you anywhere from $1,300 for a smaller dog. Up to $1,800 for a bigger breed. There's also one-time expenses like spaying, neutering, training, uh, which I think obedience training is a great idea for all dogs, Um, initial medical fees, and a crate. So after the first year, the dog's annual cost is anywhere from $580 to about $875. Now, you can obviously see that number go way higher depending on what sort of parent you are to your pet Um, for what sort of alpha. So, I've got an old dog who's getting ready to go soon, Uh, 14 years old, and she's been amazing. So, uh, Maisie the Wonder Dog. So, she's got maybe a year. So, maybe. So, out of her breed, out of her litter, she's the second to last one. So, we'll see if she can't make it to the, the last dog standing. So a dog's annual cost is anywhere from, like I said, 580 to $875. It's expensive, right? Um, if you factor in things like pet sitting, dog training, teeth cleaning, emergency vet bills, it can get pretty darn expensive pretty fast. So just throwing it out there. Um, like every expensive luxury in the world, you need to maintain it. Um, Celestics treat an expensive disease if you catch it early. Brush the teeth. Dental disease can lead to complications with dogs' heart and kidneys just like yours. Use toothpaste made for dogs. Don't use the stuff that you get at the store for you. Uh, Try to keep fleas and ticks at bay. So, uh, nasty animals, so that carry nasty diseases. Tesla's got that new car that's Ferrari fast. Um, which is great on one really great level. it's Tesla's really making the auto companies kind of be honest and come up with some innovation out there to keep up with them so um, big earthquake today devastates several towns in central Italy. You were always that close to having a disaster in your life, and that also could potentially be a financial disaster. Um, you know, think about the people who lost loved ones that were workers for the family in Italy. Again, obviously losing someone is horrible, but then when you lose the breadwinner, uh, the rest of the family has to figure out how we're going to make ends meet. So a bad day to be in Italy. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial. Money, investing, more. You can find me online at Rob Black show, Twitter, Rob Black show, YouTube, Rob Black show.
0: Six, twelve twenty. That's 800 Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. I got a funny email from someone who said, I want to panic and sell my stocks before other people panic and sell their stocks. That's pretty funny, right? Um, Or it was basically asking the question of how do I do everything perfectly? And there's no right answer. I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't. Um, If I did, trust me, I'm not going to tell you. Love you. My crystal ball says murky. And I'm going to go, bye, 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 bye. My crystal ball says murky. And I'm going to go sell, 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 sell. So there's a lot of people out there who are really doom and gloom right now. Uh, You could look at Bill Gross of Janus. Bill Gross from Janus. Excuse me, let me get a quick sip of tea. Bill Gross of Janus has been screaming, the sky is falling, for about eight years now. Uh, that's not good. He looks kind of silly. Some well-known investors get on TV, like Bill Gross, and they say, you know, I don't see any reason in the world to own a stock, except for that they're all-time highs. And Carl Icahn, I don't understand how they can have positions that are short in the market, and they go on TV and say, I don't really like the market. Professional money managers I think, need to justify their fees, like Carl Icahn and Bill Gross. Um, And if they can't beat the markets, they need to get on TV and say, look, I'm on TV. Professional investors also have to consistently beat the markets by a sizable margin to earn their fees. Smart money investors also need to attract new customers, which often requires making very bold calls, especially in media. Big-time investors often specialize in narrow range of investments so they're most exposed to volatility in their asset class choices. So I think the average person should choose low-cost investments. I don't think you need to worry about the market. I don't think you need to worry so much about beating the market. I think you just need to participate in the markets. Some good diversification, some good asset allocation, I think you'll turn out quite well. Elsewhere in the news today, U.S. home prices gained 5.6% in the second quarter from prior year. Prices climbed um, just two-tenths of a percent on a seasonally adjusted basis. Seasonally adjusted basis. Average expectation was about three-tenths of one percent. So things are slowing a little bit. It's still pretty good because the days of inventory are so small. Um, And there's just, there's not a lot of inventory. So people are bidding up. They're like, ooh, House has no backyard just like I wanted. The house has a leaky faucet, exactly what I wanted. But I'll take it is kind of what's going on there. So um Tesla's made its cars Ferrari fast, which kind of interesting, right? Uh Olympics were a hit on social media, less so for NBC.
0: NBC.
1: Cable Network reported an average total audience of about 25.4 million viewers. It's down about 18% from the 31 million viewers that it had in 2012 London Olympics. And these Olympics weren't over the pond. They were kind of in our own time zone. Um, It's the millennials. Nearly 50% of Facebook users aged 18 to 34 engage with Olympic content by liking or sharing or commenting online. NBC maintains millennials shift online over broadcast. It's not necessarily bad for business. Uh, because NBC's trying to build up that social media component and take advantage of it as best they can. It's kind of like if you take a look at the late-night comedians, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert. If you can't get viral videos, they don't want you. So Dave Letterman could no longer engage a nation. He was able to engage kind of an elderly uh, number, a demographic of people over 30 liked him, 35, 40, 45, 50. Uh, but if you can't get, you know, a celebrity like Jennifer Lawrence playing a silly game, maybe beer pong without the beer, or I t- I have a secret, if you can't engage that viral hit now, you're kind of losing it. So Zach Efron and Simone Biles was a huge hit. Facebook has started a new app that's for teens only. They get it. They're desperately trying to stay relevant because they don't want to become the NBC of social media. They don't want to become the old television network or the old network of, of media. So they have a 19-year-old employee who came up with what's called Life LifeStage um, Life opens a camera and encourages you to take goofy videos. The big difference between LifeStage and Snapchat is it's built entirely around high schools. So you have to join a school to see videos from classmates, and there's no way to directly message someone. It's designed for young people to show others who they are and find out more about the people in their school community as well as meet new people. Uh, will it work? Will it Will it hit? Will it miss? Uh, it's going to be important, and I'm not going to join because I'm not allowed to. So it's a little bit creepy thinking about me trying to pretend to be a high schooler. <coughs> Thank you. So... Um, Netflix international operations could surpass the U S business in revenue by 2020. So their international subscriber base and revenue are expected to ha- have surpassed those of its domestic business by 2020. Uh, will it or won't it again? That's gotta be just, isn't every story today about man, the networks are screwed if they don't get into social media. So Disney CEO is unclear on the future of licensing content to Netflix. Um, be careful, right? Don't, don't, don't feed your enemy. Or if you're going to feed them, don't feed them too much. Uh, oil prices sliding today after jumping U.S. stockpiles. That's kind of expected with the whole, uh, it's kind of expected right now with the whole building of inventories and slowing, slowing up world economies. Google's recruiting some of their web stars and Hulu for a virtual reality push. They're coming out with daydream virtual reality service in weeks. That'll be fun. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.